Somehow, nearly a month has passed since the Bradley Beal trade to the Phoenix Suns. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, we break down all things Beal. Where is he at in his career? What might his role be in Phoenix? And how might he evolve his game on a championship caliber team? Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen to close out the week. A very hot week in the Valley. Maybe you're not here. Maybe you are. Either way, the offseason continues, and we're here for you every single day. We're free and available on all platforms. All you have to do is search Locked On Suns wherever you listen or watch including YouTube, where we are growing rapidly. Become part of that community of 5,000-plus subscribers. Become an everydayer. Get locked onto your favorite team every day throughout the offseason and beyond. Today, all things Bradley Beal, Mike Prada of The Athletic, a longtime Wizards analyst, observer, fan. No, you can yes. say fan. Yeah. Yes, a fan. Is here. Mike is uh, Mike is the expert on all things Wizards, and uh, I've been wanting to do this show for a while. I have been trying to get this plan with Mike for a bit, and uh, I'm excited to, to break down where Beal really is because at least for the past couple years, people can maybe pretend or go back and watch, you know, Synergy Tape, but I don't think there's been a lot of eyes on that Wizards team, so it, it should be fun. Um, let's start here, Mike. Oof, not a lot of eyes on that Wizards team. That's is rough. that fair? Am I, am I? I mean, there are at least two. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, maybe the coaching staff. I, I would imagine there's at least a certain number of season ticket holders. That uh, mm, a few, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're sort of, let's say they're grandfathered in. Oh, I forgot to introduce you. I was I had this in the back of my head as a one-time guest of the Phoenix Suns broadcast as well. Oh yeah, uh, last no. year. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, that was pretty cool. Those guys are great. Uh, yeah. Kevin, shout out Kevin Ray and. Uh, and Myers Drysdale, that was terrific. I had a great time there. Yeah, it, better better without Eddie Johnson. <laughs> um, in terms of no uh, in terms no, of, of no not comment. getting roughed up on live television, I would no, say no com- uh, no comment. I think it would have great, been quite entertaining if he was on. But great uh, analyst, was, but especially given the nature of your book and his philosophies on basketball, I think there might have been some butting of heads. Maybe, although you know, could I, I think I would have enjoyed it. I've interviewed I would, Eddie. I would have because... loved it. I mean, you know, if if Eddie Johnson played in this era, I think he would have loved this era of basketball. Like that's sort of every single time that someone complains about, you know, oh, I didn't get to play that this era is not as good in any sport. Mm-hmm. It's always like, you know how like Joe Morgan would have been like perfect for the moneyball era in baseball mm-hmm. after he's mm-hmm. as he was complaining about it all the time. It's the same thing. It, it always is like this. Eddie Johnson would have slayed in this era. It's funny. I've interviewed Eddie about that topic because I kind of presented his stats to him like, dude, you were kind of a trailblazer in a way like you were taking those shots, you know, threes and just sort of expanding your game and being a three level scorer when that wasn't necessarily encouraged or in vogue. And and how do you hate it now? And his thing and understandably so has always been he just doesn't like when players are pigeonholed to be asked to do things that actually make them worse players. And that's a point well taken. But 
Uh, maybe some of that has to do with with what we're talking about with Bradley Beal today. Mm. Where I was going to start Good is just segue. Been doing it uh, uh, as I say at the top six mm. years. Uh, what was your first reaction when when you thought of Beal, the basketball player, ending up on this Suns team? Definitely a little bit of a strange fit, uh, if only because so often you know Beal and Devin Booker have been kind of mentioned as very similar style of players, uh, and I do think there are a lot of similarities between them. There are some subtle differences that may have to be a slightly more than not subtle differences for this all to work, and they could be. Uh, but yeah, no, I was definitely a little surprised that that's the direction they went. I think it part of it too is that it sort of centers on the theory that uh, you know when the sun started to rise, it was the first step that really got them on the path to respectability and beyond was the trade for Ricky Rubio, with the logic being Brad, we, Devin Booker is now our off guard. We are not going to have him play make as much, and now we're kind of going the opposite way. We're saying. That's what he's going to do. So, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a surprise. I think there was also the sticker shock of, like, wow, the Suns are really all in plus, plus, plus here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sit down and thought about it a little bit more, though, and you sort of thought if the Suns were already all in plus, what could they reason realistically have done to improve their roster outside of this trade in a meaningful way? You start to run out of ideas at that point. So. Yeah. It started to make a little more sense from there. But, you know, definitely the first reaction was like, wait a minute. Like, so how are they going to play together? Yeah. Yeah. And we will uh, break that down in, in in pretty close detail as we go here. Uh, keeping big picture. I mean, a- agreed on the upgrade idea and just sort of the transaction part of this thing is like you look at what Chris Paul eventually changed teams again for. And it's like jordan Poole and, and patrick baldwin probably not you know getting the suns over the hump against denver but but maybe beal can um how much should suns fans actually be worried about kind of this injury and regression talk that's been there with beal because i i, I kind of went by went through it from the outside view at least as far as injuries go um at the time of the deal and it it doesn't feel like it's you know Chris Tapps, Porzingis, or Zion Williamson at all. It's it's feels random, but am I wrong to, to think about it that way? Hey, I don't know if it's random because so much of it is related to like his hamstring. Um, but of course, the comparison point is Chris Paul's longevity. And I mean, there's no comparison there, <laughs> like just because Bradley Beal is not 39. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in that respect, I would expect him to miss some games, you know, some of the part of it too is that actually the fact that it is a lot of nagging issues recently uh, and not an acute injury actually to me like sort of underscores that there is an injury risk. Uh, so I, I would be reasonably concerned, but that would have been the case if you acquired any 30 plus year old for like for whatever. And that would have been the case. I mean, Chris Paul, it's much more of an injury risk. So sure. I think in that respect, like you're almost upgrading the injury risk, but I think it would be silly to say it's not there. One thing that I think maybe is slightly encouraging um, is that two years ago, the year that he started the year having having the COVID and there was sort of a vaccine uh, controversy, whatever, that year he definitely didn't look right even when he was playing. You know, something did not look right with the way his body movements were, were working. He wasn't moving in the same way. He wasn't making the same quick cuts. And last year, even though he played only 50 games and he wasn't as good as he was two or three years ago, 
he looked a lot more movement wise like the Bradley Beal that I remembered um, from before 2021-22. And I think he played better than the Bradley Beal that I remember than the year before. Uh, so just a lot more like sort of sharp cutting, a lot more sort of that like kind of quick off the ball. Like the he didn't get to the free throw line as much, but his moves were I think a little sharper. There were fewer sort of like he would have these like controller unplugged moments during games in 2021-22 where it was like, do you know how your body works? Like it was very strange looking sort of mishaps. And I didn't see those in the next year. So that from perhaps an injury perspective should be encouraging for Suns fans. But, you know, I hate to be like glib about it, but everybody's an injury risk once you're, what is he, 30, 29, 30 years old and you play yeah. in the league as long as you ha- he has and you rely a lot on this sort of sort of quick one-cut movements. I think there's it would be foolish to say there's no injury risk. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's certainly less, maybe not of a regular season injury risk, but certainly less of a longevity injury risk than Chris Paul. So, which I guess is the the – Jermaine point of comparison if you throw out just like if you assume that the Suns are not playing for the future anyway. Sure, sure. Yeah, and and on top of being 30 now, also, you know, like 10 seasons in the league, right? So a lot of that, playoff runs as well early in his career. Exactly. And, Less and, and later. And, so, <laughs> and and so the, there's no version where it's it's a zero, but I guess I hadn't really necessarily been thinking about it in a, in a comparison to Chris Paul, but but that obviously helps. Uh, he's basically and, replacing Paul on the roster, is he not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's essentially going to slot right into that line that lineup slot. So I think it's kind of at least for next year that is the comparison to make. And I yeah. look, I think there's a reasonable argument that like Chris Paul was better last year than Bradley Beal, hmm. so maybe he will be again. So I don't know if that's even super clean, but yeah, I mean, I think All that's right. the comparison to make for sure. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good place to to transition into more more basketball. I will just point out, you know, in terms of of kind of the combination of injury and regression and how one affects the other, the year that Mike is talking about, that that was the season he shot 30% from deep, which I know has kind of gotten highlighted and circled and uh, gotten some scares from from Suns fans and followers locally. That, that, that would be uh, part of the explanation, not exactly a coincidence that the unhealthiest year of your career would be a, a year where you don't shoot quite as well. Uh, but let's let's transition. I want to ask, uh, Mike, what the the realist, the, the version of Beal that's closest to reality is of all the different versions we've seen. We'll do that next. First, today's show brought to you by Bird Dogs, which is the best shorts for the Arizona summer. That's what's most relevant to us here. They make you look good. They're designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you that truly sculpted look. So in addition to being stretchy and being comfortable, they also breathe, which again is the most important part for us. They have anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long, unlike the stiff restricting cotton stuff that you can get elsewhere. I love, I'm more of a short inseam type of person, but that's also because I'm not as tall as some. They have longer, they have multiple styles. You can go uh, a style that's maybe for the golf course. You can go a style that is maybe going to look a little nicer if you're actually going out to do something. The pairs that I have are workout sort of gym shorts as well as, you know, lounge around the house, quick errand type of thing. But no matter what, they look good, they feel good, and again, they breathe. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA to get a Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. So you get the shorts. 
get a little something else on top of it. You can also enter the promo code locked on NBA checkout. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or promo code locked on NBA at checkout for that free Yeti style Tumblr with your first purchase. I have to admit that I read Tumblr as like the internet website. You get like a free Tumblr. I think all of those are free. That would be a bad thing. <laughs> right. I, I, I was like, that, that, wait, wait a minute. Cause you know how, you know how science says that when you actually read a word, you only read the first and last letter and you yes. fill in the rest. Same thing. Mm-hmm. At this point though, with the value of, of that uh, particular website, I think you might actually be able to get the whole thing for free with the purchase. <laughs> <Bird Dogs>. So <laughs> uh, that, that might be where we are. Uh, let me put that question to you, though, Micah. The version of Beal that you think is closest to reality, it, I, the ones that I had listed, and maybe you actually have additional in-between iterations of this guy, but I have Wall, John Wall co-pilot in the early years. I have the 30 points per game guy was the name for some of those COVID seasons. And then the lackluster kind of injury riddled past two seasons is the three that I, that I chunked out, which of those is the closest to reality or do you have another one? I think the simplest answer is the most recent version is the closest to reality. It's just, but I would, I do, I would draw a distinction again between the last two years where he was injury prone of both years, but last year, I think his production and the way he played was, I think a lot better than the year before. It was also a little more collaborative. I actually thought he had pretty good chemistry with Chris Asporzingis when they played. They had some interesting, cool little two-man actions that they would run. They had a pretty good, like, sort of dribble handoff game. They had a pretty good catch-and-go game, uh, dribble-pitch game, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's probably the closest thing. I mean, it's a safe answer because, you know, that's the most recent one, and you don't, he doesn't just like devolve his entire body back into 2015 or whatever, you know, like you don't get to be that type of player. Like I think if the Suns, if Suns fans are expecting that he automatically goes back to the running mate version that has significantly more of his baskets unassisted than assisted, and that's going to be comfortable for him. I just think that's asking a lot. It's not because he has a will to do that, obviously, because he chose to be in Phoenix. But, you know, you can't just, like, kind of change some of your habits and be a different player. Uh, so my guess is that you're going to see something resembling what we saw last year. He doesn't really have, like, necessarily a dribble handoff partner. But I do think that the presence of Durant and Booker will allow him to play a little more off the ball upon catching it and he will able to kind of be more of a one cut player, but I suspect that he will not get to the free throw line as often. I'm not sure that three point percentage will go right back up to over 40%. I think it may stay in the mid thirties. I'm not sure. Like he's not just going to be a guy who stands around. I think there are going to be a lot of pull up mid range jumpers, but I think it will look more like last year. And hopefully for the Suns fans, it's like last year, but in, 65 games instead of what do you play 50 games yeah so i think that's the the simple simple answer um so that's one of the things i was going to ask about because obviously you know statistically you just kind of look at what's what's evolved over time and mid-range frequency has gone up three-point frequency has gone down a bit he also has you know i would say it feels i mean statistically you would look at it and say he's improved as a finisher so it's not all just sort of taking those less efficient shots and and whatnot but 
that's an unmistakable trend from him. It sounds like you think that will continue. I'm, I had hope, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, some of the notes that I have here as far as evolution, which we we're going to talk about in the next segment, but I'll, I'll get into now is like, it, it might not be the same physically for him or, you know, exactly the same in terms of the makeup of the team, because John Wall is such a unique player. It's never going to be identical to that. But I was, I'm hopeful that something where his off ball gravity and, and what he's, the way he's able to move and be a threat as a shooter could actually that really just hasn't been a threat in and of itself in a long time for him because most of the actions were designed to say all right you're gonna get it even if you don't start with it but really you're gonna go downhill or you're gonna pull up from mid-range or maybe you'll shoot a three less often lately I wonder what it can look like for him to just be a threat and a weapon as far as his gravity goes and and be really used that way but Maybe that's just not in the cards. Well, I, I think it could be in the cards. I mean, I agree with you that there's a lot more that can be mined with the way he moves off the ball, to your point, maybe not necessarily to get it. Like, they did – like, there is there are ways that he can be used, perhaps as a screener, for example, that I think have – were developed a little bit more last year, again, with Porzingis, but there are, there are ways to do that better. To me, the, the real question is when you have a situation with the team where you've got three guys who can kind of – you could use any of them in any sort – theoretically in any sort of like ball handler, spacer, uh, decoy combination in Booker, Durant, and Beal. But they're all used to being in one of those roles. They're, they're not – they haven't played their whole career really as a spacer or – and only briefly as a decoy. I mean, at some point on every play, you have to have one of them be fill one of those roles each. There are going to be plays where Kevin Durant is just a decoy. There are going to be plays where Bradley Beal is just a decoy. There are going to be plays where Devin Booker is just a decoy. The problem you're going to, the challenge you're going to run into if you're Frank Vogel, who frankly is a great coach, but has never been known as a creative offensive coach, is how do you make it so that all three of those guys are dynamic in all those plays at the same time when it's just not been the way they've played. Someone's got to be the great passer, but all three of those guys look to shoot. Someone's got to be a decoy, but they, they're under, they're overqualified to be a decoy yeah. the same way for spacers. So it's going to be, this isn't necessarily a Beal only thing, but I think it applies as much to Beal as it does to Durant Booker, because all three of those guys have been the main guys, you know, is there a you don't want to have a rigid pecking order, but like on each individual play, you need a pecking order. It may not be the same one every play. Yeah. And your your options for sort of making it so that the what the hole is more than some of the parts. One is to play faster, the other is to rebound and defend better, and so you can get out and play faster. Uh and then you also, I mean, beyond all that, you also have DeAndre Ayton defeat. I guess the other thing you could do is you can stagger them, their line and lineup so that yeah, there's a lot of that involved. It, I just I'm all I'm saying is that I it can happen in some case in some moments, but that's different than saying that it will happen easily in all moments. And I think it may, even though Beale, Durant, and Booker all have the skill sets, I think the mindset shift is going to be a little more challenging than it seems now, even sure. if they get plumbed together and even if Beale as it is seems like is very much embracing that like, Hey, I'm not Kevin Durant or Devin Booker. 
Yeah, and that's the thing you would have to take away as far as optimism goes, right, is uh, that that factor of, of publicly Beal kind of speaking to his eagerness here, and obviously both Durant and Beal have been over the moon about the opportunity to, to play with Booker and seem to really respect him and, and kind of think of him as being the top of the, the pecking order that you were referencing there. And, and obviously the other part would just be they kept – their kind of offensive coordinator in Kevin Young, and that was a big coup for them. And, and they feel like paying him a lot of money to stay here rather than going to Detroit with Monty Williams or wherever other offers he might have had is going to help them balance the team out, And at least from a, a coaching and strategy standpoint. Um, let's just kind of do offense and then defense. I, I wasn't planning on it that way, but, but we've, we've spent time on offense already. And I have one more kind of two-prong thing for you, which is how is Beal as a passer? And kind of mm. secondarily to that is just, I, I I think staggering them is going to be an obvious way to let everybody eat. And I, I would even include DeAndre Ayton in that, uh, frankly. I think kind of playing Ayton more with the bench units is an obvious tweak that, that Vogel can make compared to Monty Williams. If there is a, a an emphasis on Ayton at least getting a shot attempt or two more than he used to. Um, shot attempt more than he used to? I mean, let's maybe start by not getting more back than he to, used to. Let's but, start by getting back to where he was used to. <laughs> sure. Yes. Uh, if if there is a goal to 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 get him involved in the offense at all, let me put it that way. It would mm-hmm. be uh, most easy to do it off the bench. And I've been wondering about a Beal Ayton bench kind of led bench unit. I think that has to rely on Beal maybe being able to be the primary ball handler in a lineup like that. What is, what is he as a passer? I mean, that that's the easiest question. I'd say he's not as good as Booker. Um, but Booker, I think, as you guys have all pointed out for years, is tremendously underrated in that regard. Um, I think he's he's improved quite a bit since the start of his career because, I mean, part of the reason there was so much, so much tension between him and Wall is that I think Beal looked at himself and said, I'm not that dude's sidekick, you know, and I think Wall very much looked at him and said, you're my sidekick. And so part of that, of course, on the court manifests in who actually gets to make the plays. And so I think there was a lot of um, incentive for Beal to improve as a playmaker, and he has. I do think that probably not a great thing if he's your primary playmaker. He can get a little, not because he's incapable of making these passes, but he gets a little bit of tunnel vision, um, particularly when he's trying to, force plays and I maybe that will that instinct will dissipate when he's not the guy who has the super max 200 zillion million dollar contract uh and the no trade clause I guess he still has that but you know what I mean like the yeah the guy he's not the only one who has that let's say yeah, exactly. on the team um you know so maybe that'll dissipate but you know I don't it, he can certainly make the right reads I think the question is sort of when it gets tight he sort of defaults a little bit to like putting his head down, trying to make something happen. And you obviously can't do that on this team, you know, to the plan of sort of whether to play him with Aiton. It depends a lot on sort of, if I were Kevin Young or Frank Vogel, what I would be doing, and I don't know if Aiton is, has this capability, but I would be trying to explore it is again, look at what Beal did with Porzingis last year and how that was kind of a little bit more of a, not a pick and roll game, a two man game. That there were stuff that they were doing together. They were throwing the ball back to each other. There's some off ball movement, a lot of rescreening, a lot of kind of quick hitter type of actions, a lot of help, frankly, deal screening for Aiton or mm-hmm. for Porzingis. To me, yeah. 
that requires a little bit more of sort of a some ball skills that we'll see if if Aiton has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're going to do that, I think that's sort of more in the vein of what you're looking for rather than using Buell as kind of like a point guard on the second union. Like, I think you sure. want to play campaign or, I guess, CJ McConnell if they trade for him or whatever that is that the new rumor now. I think you'd want to have another ball handler on the floor um, to make okay. that maximize that uh, is my read on it. And, yeah, again, like when they're playing together, Devin Booker should be the one who's making the tougher passes for this to work. And that is going to be interesting because, again, like we talked about, Devin Book, the whole theory of Devin Booker was let's limit his playmaking options at the beginning of this whole Monty Williams era, or maybe going back and it is the right move. I don't know, but that's that's a change. So it asks a lot of him. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, You know, I think they were came to a realization maybe during the playoffs last year that, you know, that step in his development, that 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 box had been checked and, and maybe it was time to return to. Mm-hmm. you know, a, a different role doing more. Uh, I, I, I hear you. And I do want to emphasize too the other part of the, the, the sacrifice and some of the adjustments that are obviously going to have to be made in style and in mindset and everything else. The por- another point I've been making is one you just made, they've all gotten paid, right? This is not an opportunity where one of the guys is young and he kind of is hungry for the, the bigger thing and the bigger contract and whatever. I'm not saying that that makes everything go over perfectly, but, but that is a, a concern that probably this team won't have uh, outside of, I guess, you know, Aiton is still kind of figuring out what that's going to be for him. Might be a proper Aiton more so than anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, Another but- area, though, where Booker might be asked to do too much, a lot, uh, whatever you want to look at it as, is defense. So let's switch over to that end of the floor. We'll get the abbreviated scouting report on Beal as a defender and kind of talk through some of the permutations of, of how the Suns could deploy him. Next, first today's show brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook is your best place to bet on anything, but especially right now, MLB. 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets right now, up to $200 at the FanDuel Sportsbook. That's right, just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 back in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. Deposit that right back into your account with those winnings, and there's no better place to bet than, again, Amer- FanDuel, America's number one. Sportsbook. Sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn for $200 in bonus bets. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, let's close things out. Uh, Mike, can you just give me kind of the the one or two minute scouting report on Beal as a defender at this point in his career? Uh, he's someone who has not been held accountable for his ability to defend for a very long time. And so it's very hard to know if he is in, un, incapable or unwilling. It's hard to separate those two. There are matchups that I think he really gets up for. So I think there is a capability certainly on the ball. Um, and he, during when he was much younger player, this was some of his ability to defend and rebound and do some of these other things was very much a strength of it. So it's certainly conceivable that he can hold his own. And I think, I think Booker is a better defender though. Um, The other question I think that is worth asking about Beal in defense is that he is among the worst, or at least he was with the Wizards among the worst transition defenders in the league. He's among the, the type of people who sort of, 
he'll complain about call. He'll be slow to get back. He'll again, kind of lose focus again. There is a reasonable argument to be made that that was a product of what he believed to be his role um, and his importance to the offense that, and his sort of, again, lack of accountability be because he was the, the franchise superstar that may dissipate in Phoenix, but it's also been a long time. So I don't know if those habits will die easily. Um, I think, again, I think Paul is, Chris Paul is a better regular season defender. I mean, the one thing you can say about Beal is that he probably won't be targeted in the same way that uh, Chris Paul was against bigger players in the playoffs. I think that's a defensive downgrade. Um, in general, it is possible that Beal there are, I think that Beal will get up for the big matchups. I think Vogel will smartly deploy him. He's pretty good at sort of that type of thing. But again, I think this asks a lot of Booker to take on assignments that he was frankly taking on already. Sure. You know, like in the biggest matchups, like you just in, said. Yeah. In the biggest matchups. So <laughs> it is just sort of funny to me how like this super, you've got these great players coming together and it is a great perimeter trio. And yet so much of his success relies on, to me at least, Devin Booker being the best player of the three. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily have that much hesitancy to say that he will be. It's just, it's more to me like how many different things can he be the best at, right? Like exactly. That, yeah, that, that's exactly that's it. Of, that's kind of the issue. I mean, with Beal, it, my, my thing is kind of looking at um, some of the underlying stats and obviously just sort of, you know, 6'4 with the 6'8 wingspan and and everything else. I, I wonder if he might actually be their starting lineup point of attack defender more right, so will, than... Who else will be? Well, it could be Booker, right? But yeah. I think I think that it seems like he's he's better doing that. You know, if if you're if you're facing Damian Lillard or Kyrie Irving or whatever, um, and it it's probably smartest to just start him on those guys and you know create a scheme that understands that he's maybe not going to you know halt their drive or, or kind of snatch the ball out of their hands every time, but he he can maybe stay with them and and at least put up mm-hmm. some sort of fight. I think the reason that this question matters, Mike, is um, who the fifth starter is for the Suns. Well, see, that's part of it, though. I think the real answer to your question is the fifth starter will guard those guys. So that that's what's interesting, right? Because if it's Josh Okogie, it probably, I mean, not probably. If it's Josh Okogie, he will. Mm-hmm. If it's somebody like Kata Bates-Diop and they really want to go kind of big, and I know a lot of Suns fans are intrigued by the possibility of it being him and maybe being a little more switchable defensively or allowing yourself to just have more size then maybe it's not he's not going to guard Damian Lillard right it probably would be Beal or Booker in that case so might be I mean the one thing that might give Suns fans some hope and again it is um it's been a while but you know, back a lot of times back in the Wall Beal days, they the Wizards would kind of deploy Beal as kind of more of the clamp defender, and Wall as more of the roamer in this sort of setup. So it, it even though Wall was had the better defensive reputation, he was kind of more used as like the guy to get highlights or the guy to roam or the guy to kind of guard the it didn't really have as much of the like sort of let's guard the non-threat on purpose but there were 
they would sometimes in high leverage matchups use Beal as a way to hide Wall or to limit his responsibility. And Beal is much better than Wall was at clamping down on one guy. So I think that that we will see that, and I think that may work as a decent failsafe. Um, I don't know if he's at that, that was a long time ago that Beal did that. Yeah. So, but I think it is a decent failsafe option, and. You know, truthfully, it's probably better to do that for him than to sort of say, hey, you guard the non-threat, Brad, and you help off the ball. Because I do think he gets lost. And again, we'll see if that gets solved a little bit by lower usage. But I would not automatically assume that it does, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they were top 10 defense for the first few years of his career. I mean, very, very different league and, and sport back then, but... Uh, it obviously is there. I think the part of it that that I've wondered about or that maybe worries me the most thinking about what this team can be defensively, even if a lot of these things we're talking about kind of click in an ideal way, is it doesn't feel like strength is necessarily his strong suit as a defender. And if you're talking about switching more or if you're talking about matchup situations where he ends up guarding somebody who is a little more overpowering, I don't know if you can put him in those spots and feel good about it. Well, what's interesting is that as an offensive player, Beal's strength is one of his big strengths, particularly his strength on the move and his strength to explode through, or at least it was one of his strengths before 2021. I mean, I know I wrote a whole piece about this on the newsletter that I used to have his ability to kind of jump out and explode through guys. Mm-hmm. So there is a blueprint for where his strength could matter on defense. Like he is, he's, a pretty thick guy. This could sound really like that's what she said, but whatever. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, you know, he's got, you know, I'm not even going to say it. Just let it, let it live. You, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, you know, but he has that. I just, he, you're right. He hasn't really used it a ton on defense, but he could. So I actually think there is potential there. I think the bigger issue with the switching stuff, I think is more so, I mean, I put I put wrote about this in the book, and I think it's something that people often forget with switching. It's like every time you switch, you're making an active maneuver to switch. It's an active maneuver that you can screw up. And I just don't like. Does he have the concentration to switch yeah. all the time, like, and to do it at the right time, and to have the mental aptitude to like switch at the right moment? You know, the mental, the lack of a mental load or fatigue or whatever yeah. to to switch at the right moment and like kind of cover up a slip or is there going to be miscommunication plus experience to me, that is more of an issue than can he hold up guarding? I mean, not Jokic. He's like sort of another, like, can he hold up guarding? I don't know. uh, Jaron Jackson, (laughs) Jaron Jackson, the post. I'm trying to think of like not LeBron, not a superstar, but you know, that I think is maybe a little less of an issue for me. It's more so just the kind of the active maneuver of switching and how, that can be coordinated and how much focus that requires that I would be worried about. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think the same concern would be there from a processing standpoint and the big adjustment that it would be for Booker and Aiton. I mean, those, even at their best moments, those are guys who do make mistakes, do lose track of, of where they're kind of supposed to be and, and what they're, 
job is in a given millisecond. You know what I mean? So I don't, and Frank Vogel's never done that, right? I mean, even with kind of the Swiss army knife that is Anthony Davis, he, he never went to like fully switch everything at all times. Like, you know, the rockets with James Harden, it it was selective or it was against one action or one player or whatever the case was. I think we could see that the more I think about it, especially now that we've seen how they filled out the roster though, I think it's going to be maybe an aggressive version of a basic scheme, you know, a, a drop that's what I would, that's with what I would think length and, and size, right? And, and just a more more swarming help than maybe Monty was willing to do, especially with some of their reserve players. But I don't think we're going to see a reinvention of, of NBA defense with this team, uh, even if DeAndre Ayton theoretically could be a part of a system like that or, or whatever. Not to mention, when we do get back to the physical part of it, you don't exactly want Kevin Durant in those spots either. Considering there are a lot of guys you want to avoid avoid the toll of having to guard a lot of big players on this roster. Yep, exactly. It's hard but, to it's hard to prevent three superstars from taking on that load. Yes, that's why super teams often don't work. <laughs> well, great note to end the show on. Uh, that will uh, that will do it for us. You can check out everything going on at the Athletic NBA. Mike has a role in all of that. You can check out his book, Spaced Out which is fundamental to, to kind of getting what, uh, what all this is about in the modern NBA and kind of how offense and defense have evolved as the league has embraced the space of the court and everything that goes with that. think I'm going to do a bonus episode for you guys on some of the other stuff going on in Suns World. There was a feature about James Jones and Matt Ishbia at ESPN today, and as Mike referenced a minute ago, the TJ McConnell rumors, so that will probably be in your feed by the time that this one is so listen to that hit followers subscribe get this show in your feed every single day throughout the offseason and beyond and i'll catch you guys next week